Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look into first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay, being played uh, by Jason Rugg today. And uh, normally I'm on the movie proposal, um, but not today. I'm here with our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello, Josh Lindsay. I mean, Jason Rugg. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then filling in for Jason uh, is uh, David Patterson. Uh, He's going to be pushing buttons and researching uh, in the background. How you doing, David? Hi, Jay and Jay. Good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today Josh is, you know, skipped town. I think he has friends and relatives in town, and we're going to have to try to make this a go without him. We miss you, Josh. Wish you were here. We'll do the best we can uh, to keep the show going. So today we have David Patterson back simply because uh, we had a lot happen over the last week in your department the film festival slash distribution department and we have lots to talk about so jason can you talk to us a little bit about what we talked about last week and then uh you know we'll jump dive right into where we are this week yeah so last week we were we were talking about that like 15 page document that was just a bunch of hollywood math and things like that that was really confusing and we weren't really sure what was going on. So, um, <clears throat> and we actually recorded that two weeks ago. So I'm, I'm wondering what has happened in the interim. So <laughs> yeah. I want an update on, on what, what happened with that distribution deal. Sure. So before we get into that, let's, we had some interesting film festival uh, news to report. And then uh, we'll talk about that agreement was an agreement sent to us by a distribution company who was interested in distributing our film. And we did dive a little bit more into that this week. So we'll cover the first film festival stuff. Then we'll talk about the distribution stuff. I think there's a lot to be learned over the last week. I've made a lot more mistakes again that we want to uh, help people avoid. Uh, the first one was we, I was so excited. We, you know, we did get rejected from the Nashville Film Festival as well as the Topaz Film Festival. So I was really kind of down. On Saturday, I got an email from Film Freeway that says, you know, your status has just been updated on Film Freeway. Congratulations. You've been selected as an official, um, you know, selection to the International Sound and Film Music uh, Film Festival in Paula, Croatia. So I had applied to this film festival really for our composer, Jeff Kurtnacker, and our sound department, uh, Jason Hoban, in hopes of uh, them, you know, showing sort of what they're made of and seeing if we would be able to garner any awards. So I was super excited for them when I got this news. I was very confused, however, because the only reason David allowed me to apply to it is because it was later in the film festival season. And we had assumed that we were going to premiere earlier. This was all before COVID. And the interesting thing was when they accepted us, they told us that the film festival was this weekend which gave us one week and I was so confused and I wrote David, Hey, this is great news. We're into this film festival, but it's in a week. And what did you say, David? Are you still there? He is still there, but we Everybody cannot... froze, but oh, there he is. Everything froze. And it said, my internet is unstable. I should have stopped the fact that I'm, I should establish that I'm up in the mountains with limited internet connections. So you all just froze. Um, did you continue speaking? I, I don't even know. 
I did. And I asked you a question. I was talking about how, you know, I was so excited that we got in. I told you about this festival and you said what? Yes. I because Oh, we had discussed this earlier about premier status and where you open. And as far as when she mentioned it, I said, you know, this is Bubba's Garage Film Festival where, you know, I, and I said, <laughs> this is our world premiere question mark. And we had gone over this so many times, the strategy. So in my mind, I'm like, how did this slip by us that this was one of the earliest festivals that we had applied to? And of course, it wasn't because it was set for this fall. But uh, COVID-itis has again made these festivals kind of jumpy. And they're just changing their release dates, which is really uncool to filmmakers who laid out uh, a strategy plan. It's, it's all of a sudden saying, oh, we've decided to move up our festival by three months. Not cool. Not cool at all. And so uh, at first I got a little aggressive with, uh, with Christian because I'm like, how did you apply to this thing? To and she's like, I don't recall it actually being this month and uh because i, I would have caught that and so you went back and researched it and in fact go ahead yeah and in fact it was supposed to be at the end of october and so for one hot minute i was um searching airline tickets to croatia and trying to figure out how to get there because i was so excited i'd been chosen for this festival uh and then David started making me think about things. And I think that was lesson number one. You know, you really do get so excited when you're in, you know, accepted into these. Um, and my excitement and head, you know, just flew off the top uh, without really even thinking much about it. Thankfully, again, I fully recommend having a partner with a sound head on his shoulders who knows what he's doing because he really made me think through stuff and I had to research okay well when is this and how does this affect our whole strategy and do we want to be accepted and so there was a lot of emails back and forth For, fortunately this film festival was very responsive and so in that one day we sort of got it all solved that it was supposed to be in October but they then realized that they weren't going to be able to have the festival at all not online or in person and so in a sense, it didn't really matter if they were going to move it up. Once the festival closed, they made their decisions. Uh, they notified the people that were selected. And now this weekend, when they say they have the festival this weekend, what they really mean is that they're announcing the award winners. And the two awards we applied for were the score award and the sound design and mixing award. So now we're waiting to hear if we were nominated for those, you know, and or won them. The great news is because they're not screening online or in person, we don't have to withdraw and we'll be able to accept these laurels, which works out in our favor. But this is not uncommon. Like this is now the third festival that's moved their dates completely, like without even saying anything canceled or postponed or the most notable and egregious was the oxa coxa or something like that film festival in mexico we won't say what david calls it but uh they for the longest time were sending emails not too late to submit you can still submit we're giving out awards for posters like they were saying you know submit for the festival submit for the poster competition submit for this competition it's not too late you've got 10 days left eight days left seven days left like they just kept sending all these emails trying to encourage people to apply for you know if they 
if they applied for one thing, come and apply for this other thing. So then, and even I got sucked in. So I paid another $8. I didn't tell you this, David, sorry. I paid uh, yeah. another. <laughs> I can tell me now on a podcast where I can't lose my temper. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but it was just for a poster contest, right? I was like, yeah, well, you know, let's just see. So anyway, that suckered me in. And then as soon as it closed, they sent a letter two days later saying, oh, because of COVID, we're not going to have a film festival this year. But, but thanks for your money. We're going to do that next year. And I was like, are you kidding me? Wow. Like, that was so Bush League. And then this week, just today, I got another email saying, hey, we've got Pitch Fest 2020. It's not too late to open for that. And I was like, what are these people doing? It's crazy. So in a lot of ways, as I started researching some of this film festival stuff, there have been a lot of people that take advantage of filmmakers like me who don't really know a lot. Most notably, this one weird guy that got his hand in all of these festivals, got celebrities to come on board, and then was just taking people's money and running. And so that apparently is not terribly uncommon. So I think I would say the lesson there is make sure you research your festivals, how long they've been around, what the reputation is of those festivals, and not just what they say on Film Freeway or Film Life or Fest Home or whatever, uh, but, you know, what everybody else is saying on the internet about them. Right, David? Yeah, I mean, there's 10,000 plus film festivals, and those are the ones that are basically registered and you can find on the internet, but there's even more. It's probably 50 or 60,000 in countries all over the world. Um, I would say the majority are legit or try to be legit, but then also just a lot of incompetence with a lot of the lesser known ones. And then there's other ones that are really just trying to take your money. Um, yeah. and, and it's like there's sucker born every day. There's a film festival born every day. Sometimes the two meet. And so you just got to make sure you're not a sucker at one of those film festivals that just milks, milks it, milks it, especially with application fees. And then you don't have it. Well, it doesn't look like they had much, uh, you know, overhead to be paying for. So somebody got some money. Yeah. So. I've noticed that even during COVID, COVID focused film festivals have popped up. Yep. You know, it's just, yeah. So buyer beware, I guess that's the lesson from that. Uh, then we did have a meeting with the distributor that was interested. The next lesson I learned this week was make sure before you have a meeting, you know what you're, what company you're talking to. So um, what happened this week was we entered the trailer film festival a while back. You'll remember me saying something about that. We did get into the trailer film festival and then the um, head of that sent our trailers to different sales agents and distributors. From that, they then, if they were interested in your trailer, they would ask you to, to ask to see the film. So we did have two people reach out to us from that, and they both had initials FF. So um, they were very similar, and I guess got linked together in my mind. And so when this one festival asked us to have this meeting over distribution, I sent David the information of the other one. And so we studied that company and who the people were. And even during that, I was like, 
you know, the guy that we're having the meeting with today isn't even on this website. Like, as I look back and think about the things I said, I was like, oh, I'm such an idiot. That should have been a warning sign. Uh, so we get on the call, and the first group of people looked like sales agents. So we were confused as why they wanted to talk to us about distribution, yet another warning sign. And they only represented shorts. So which should have been another problem, you know, another warning sign. So we were ready to go into that meeting. How would you say, David? Perfectly ready to... Hello and goodbye, You're basically. Right. We, we, we said it would be an, a good acting and business exercise to talk to these people because I, I explained to Christian, I said, let's hear how much they want our movie and what they're going to do for us because these guys are small fries. So... Let's just hear their pitch. And sometimes you even get good ideas for yourself walking away from it. Uh, but since we actually, for like, we think we're bringing in a small fish and it's just really a whale that happens to be swimming towards you. Um, it, you know, once I think the first thing it says, so you guys primarily do shorts. And the guy's like, no, we don't do shorts. And all of a sudden we're like, uh, <laughs> that's when yeah, the whale well, started to surface. And the first thing I said was, I think you guys have a new website. Like my brain was soaking and they're like, no. So the bottom line was this ended up being a very reputable, very established film distribution company that uh, is in Canada. I, I, you know, that surprised me, uh, but they, they knew their stuff. They represented films. Um, you know, they distributed films very similar to ours. And so once we got on the right website and we're listening to who they really were, um, it was, I was so shocked. It was completely different than what I anticipated. Yeah. And, and they have a huge library, close to 80 films. Anytime you have a distributor with over 20 films, it's someone to at least look at. And once they get past 50, well, then, you know, they know what they're doing. And then anytime after that, you know, it, it's, they're people you should listen to at least and, and hear what their pitches are. Um, later, um, Christian said, you know, I really would like an American company to want to distribute this since it's really an American movie. Um, but, you know, that may happen down the road and we'll get into how long we wait to see what other companies are interested because that's always a game in itself. But the, 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 the objective for almost all distributors uh, is the North American rights. Um, and that's what this company is interested in. They're not looking at any foreign country rights, not looking for worldwide. Uh, they want, which is, you know, what everyone wants is the North American rights because who has the most powerful streaming elements in the world, US-based companies, and they want to be able to be able to get to those streaming companies and those cable companies and, you know, because like, yes, HBO does Spain, HBO does everywhere, but HBO is in the States. If they want to option your movie, then they also have the option to send it out to other places as well. So you, um, every company wants the North American rights, even a even if it's like an Israeli company, they're going to want, or, you know, some Austria company that they'd be interested in the North American rights as well. Um, so, you know, I think we will get, and the other company that just did shorts is an American based company that was very interested, but we did not want to, we, I don't think we're even considering because there actually was another company that was also interested in it, but had never done a feature doc 
and we don't want to be the experiment. You know, it's, it's nice that they love our film, but everyone's frozen again. Can people hear me or? We can hear you. No one can hear me. So yes. Hello. So basically what David was saying was, I mean, there was uh, the, the other company happened to be sales agents, not distributors. They were based in LA. Um, but what was interesting in this call was that I really was curious to know why they wanted to represent our film, especially given that they were Canadian. And when I asked the uh, guy that was in charge of acquisitions said, I have to tell you, I mean, this may not seem very, you know, lofty or anything, but I have watched so many movies over working in this job. And he said, when I was watching your movie, it was very emotional. And I look for that. If it's emotional and it moves me, I want that movie. And he said, and I said, I found that fascinating because I thought I would hear that from a French person or an American person, but this is a Canadian person. So there's not all of that patriotic, um, you know, subtext going on in their own emotions, right? Um, so that was interesting to me that our film worked on an emotional level with people that weren't American or French and they did say all the right things. I mean, they really explained to us why they felt like their company was a good fit for us and we were a good fit for them. And it was, it was very discombobulating for me because it's not what I expected to happen. I expected to just not think it was a good deal. So I, I just sort of, you know, got off the call and had to rethink everything because we haven't even started our festival run yet. We haven't started our festival run yet. And we already have an offer on the table that they've sent us. And now I don't know what to do. Thankfully, again, the lesson is partner with somebody who knows more than you. I was surprised when I got off the end of the call to hear David say, wow, I'm impressed. And we should consider this offer. Right. Yeah, I was supposed to be the tough guy and just say hello, goodbye. And uh, I should have probably, but I mean, again, we were expecting to bring in a small fish and this company was much larger than the company that we were going to say no to. Um, so we have to discuss it. I mean, are there bigger, bigger companies? Absolutely. Um, bigger is not always better because if you have a smaller company, they're going to focus on your property. A much larger company may just say, here's another th thing that we have in our pocket that, you know, we, that we're going to show around. So it's, it's great to be wanted. And, and it, and this company is a decent company, but of course we always want more. <laughs> we always well, want big and better. And so it's like, well, do we hold out for bigger and better? And as she mentioned, they gave us a two week. Um, they said the offer is, is good for two weeks, which is their way to sort of push us towards a, a decision. Um, but what I told Christian right off is, so we have two weeks, you know, it, it, you can have a restless night of sleep tonight and, and even the next night, but we should breathe that offer is solid for two weeks. And to be perfectly honest, I would be surprised after two weeks, we say we want to just look a couple more things. If they say, well, then we'll never consider your film again. I didn't get that feeling from these guys. 
Um, no. So, you know. But, but there are a lot of questions to, to, I mean, to be, to be honest, the deal is a fair deal. I think it's a fair deal. I'm not sure we'll get a better one. I don't think we'll get a worse one. Well, we may get worse ones, but. Well, as I said, we maybe get better deals by smaller bad companies. You know, they'll promise you the world and not deliver at all. My very first film, uh, I had a very good distribution deal and the company ended up stealing from two dozen of the filmmakers that they bought their films from at, at Sundance and other festivals. And then when we sued the distributor, they just went bankrupt and uh, everybody went away. And the only big losers were the filmmakers. So now I was able to retain my rights and continue to get some distribution. But I didn't get even my full advance from that distributor. And uh, they definitely walked away with a lot of money because back then there was a, a company called Rent Track, which would keep uh, track of how many times your movie was downloaded or taken out this back when Blockbuster was. So you knew the dollars that were being involved with people uh, purchasing your movie and renting your movie, but that money did not come to me. And uh, so it's always, you gotta be careful. Um, distributors pop up just like festivals pop up to be perfectly honest. And uh, especially with the streaming world. And this is something we didn't discuss last time there's a thing called an aggregator, and then there's a someone called a distributor. An aggregator basically is a guy that has Netflix's direct phone number, you know, and they just say, uh, hey, Netflix, got a movie from this guy, and Netflix says, okay, just send it in. Because pretty much anyone can get onto a lot of these streaming platforms. You just have to meet their requirements, uh, their production requirements. So basically, this guy is just taking money for you from you that you could have done yourself. And so that's one of our things. And, and that was the smaller distribution company that we were talking about. I'm like, these guys look more like aggregators than distributors, which means basically they're just gonna make money off us by telling us where to mail our movie. And uh, and, and they would get a percentage of that. So um, that's, that's a big thing a lot of filmmakers don't understand. And I think it's really important to know the difference between an aggregator and a distributor. Aggregator is a guy that just opens a door for you to walk through to um, to the film distribution platform, whether it's Amazon or Netflix or iTunes. And again, as an independent filmmaker, you can do that yourself. So what you really want a distributor is if they do have connections to Netflix, Amazon, all these, they're going to make sure that they take care of you and, they, and the placement of the film and making sure your film can be found. I know dozens of filmmakers who have their film on Netflix and they can't even find it themselves. So <laughs> how helpful is that when you're trying to get an audience to go see your movie when they're like, Hey, I went to Netflix. I couldn't find your movie. Are you sure they it's on there? And they're like, of course it's on there, but I can't find it either. So um, that was a slight digression, but again, it gets back to distribution about making your choices and who you're going with. Yeah. I mean, you know, I honestly, at this point, we still have some research to do. We have questions to ask. Uh, but at the end of the day, we, I have a decision to make. And that's kind of scary. And the other thing that was weird, I laid in bed that night after we got off the phone with them because they told us a lot of numbers, numbers that projects just like ours had done, how much they had sold or how much they've been downloaded or whatever. And it was, you know, a lot. And I'm lying in bed for the very first time. It dawned on me that 
my face and person were going to be in thousands and thousands and thousands of people's homes all over the place. And I don't know why, but that was the very first time I had thought about that. And then I was like, and so will Danny. And so will, and I think maybe it just wasn't a realistic thing. You know, I never really expected to get this far. So I never thought a lot of people would see this film. But that call really, really showed me I was wrong. And it gave me a lot to think about. And yeah, so I feel a little And, and just a month ago, uh, Christian was a first-time filmmaker with very little experience and not sure where, she, where her world was going. Whereas here we are a month later, she's an award-winning filmmaker with several distribution deals on the table. And she has another two weeks to uh, explore other options. And the one good thing, how I told you, you know, everyone thinks that the North American rights is the grand prize. This is true. But what I explained to Christian is it's not the only prize. And we need to negotiate other things. Like I've had films do very well, one of my docs on Delta Airlines. So we can carve out and say, we want to keep the airline rights. My other film, Gilly Hopkins, ran on Delta for almost two years. And so um, airplanes buy up tons of content. I'm sure with last time, if we ever get up in the air again, when you go to that you know, the screen, there are so many offers. If you remember five, 10 years ago, there's like three movies being offered. Now there are hundreds of things that you can do. And so the airlines will buy that. And if people seem to be pressing the button on it to order it, then they'll renew the license again. Normally, uh, airline license is about nine months. But, you know, for it to go two years, that means people are ordering it and, and enjoying it. The other thing is we feel that there's a good DVD uh, order for this. So we discussed with this company, if you are going to do DVDs, you're going to do DVDs. You know, you're not going to take those rights and then have nothing to do with the DVDs because uh, that, that makes no sense for us. And we also wanted to carve out educational because we also feel that she can make a lot of money going to universities, colleges, high schools, giving a lecture and showing the movie and getting you know a, a showing price, a, a fee, a screening fee. And theatrical uh, because I've been doing that as well. You know, I can fill a theater pretty easily uh, you know, in several different communities and put events together. I've now shown I can do that over a year and then sell the DVDs. Yeah, and the, and the term for that in the business is called four-walling. It's basically four walls in a movie theater. You get the theater and you set it up and you basically make sure you can fill that room with paying customers. Listen, you do that a couple times, you can make a decent amount of change. And because of uh, Christian's connections with all these veterans organizations and stuff, once all of this passes, she would be able to, with her retaining those rights, literally almost every major city in the U.S., talk to veterans organizations, say, let's do a screening at this theater. And so being able to retain these rights gives her so many other options to make money. Because say you do give the North American rights to a company that blows it. Well, that sucks. But you've retained other rights to continue to make money. Also, distribution rights generally are five years long. So after five years, all the rights re revert back to her, and she can look into other uh, distributors on the, on the uh, United States domestic side. But I also feel that there's a huge demand for this overseas, especially in Europe, which, again, she's retained those rights. 
So now she can approach foreign film agents to work on her behalf to sell it to foreign, foreign countries. And I think there's interest there and I think there's money to be made there um, that is not given away again. You know, lots of times if you give away worldwide rights, <laughs> that you're putting a lot of faith and a lot of risk into it. And even studios, if you watch studios, and I'm sure people are familiar with IMDb Pro or IMDb, you go on and you see a major movie, say it's a Disney movie, um, say it was my Disney movie. I think there are, when you break down the companies, there's like 20 or 30 dis distribution companies attached to that movie. Disney did not distribute it. Uh, they handled, I think, North American rights, but then they divvied it out to other um, companies to do that. So, you know, there is money to be made and ways to explore to make money outside of one specific option. And that's what I've explained to her from day one. I said, I said to her, I said, theatrical for a documentary is damn near impossible unless you're Ken Burns. Um, it, it's just the way it is, you know, um, or Morgan Spurlock or, you know, and even those are limited theatrical releases. So I said, Moore. yeah, Michael Moore. And so the fact is, if you're going to do theatrical, it's probably you're going to be doing theatrical and, and not someone else. Because um, I think they gave us theater rights just even when we're in the discussion, right? They're like, yeah, theater rights, uh, we, we, we don't need those. I don't know if that was specifically nailed down, but, you know, streaming is where most income comes from a lot of these companies. And so that is their major focus. And they want anything that touches streaming. But then it can bring up another point uh, because of uh, COVID. Um, giving a presentation online to a university and then her lecturing, well, does that come under the guidance of streaming? So do, th do they have those rights or is that something she's retained? So it's really, you know, you looked at that 5,000 page document at our last thing and she asked you, you know, to look through it and answer some questions about the, the contract, the distribution contract that you had looked at. And the fact is, there are ways to carve out things. And most filmmakers just sign on the dotted line when they don't realize that it is a negotiation process. And lots of times you can retain things that are extremely valuable to you that the distributor just doesn't even think it has, has any real value to it. Yeah. Or they're not even going to make the effort because they know what they do well. And they're going to stick with that. And they'll let you, you know, do whatever you want with these other little rights that they have no real interest in. So what do you think, Jason? Did you? This is fascinating. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, independent cinema and particularly independent documentaries is such a different world than anything I've heard about. You know, you can look into like, okay, so how does that work? How does that work? But th there's just so many tiny details that go into making these decisions and it's mind blowing. I'm really glad Christian found you, David. <laughs> so, otherwise, this would be a very different podcast right now. I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I will tell you this though. Even though, yes, independent film and this documentary is like this one narrow stream. In my opinion, David, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because of course I don't know a lot. Um, these are general things you have to think about if you're going to distribute anything for any you know, visual pro project, right? Not only that, but things happen that throw your plan out of whack, you know, and, and it's, 
as we said, we wanted to take this whole year on the festival circuit to go to distribute, you know, for distributors to be interested and stuff like that. And boom, right out the gate, we have this one and they're interested. And we'd like to think that we're going to get tons more. But in this world, we just don't know. Yeah, I think that's the hard part for me. I was talking to David, like on the one hand, I also went to bed that night thinking, wow, I could sign this paper and this would pretty much, I mean, it would be done. Like I would have sold a film, you know? And yeah, it's only a five-year deal, but the clock would start on me getting my money back. And I think I also hadn't anticipated that. Like, you know, this is a business and the hope is that you would be able to make back whatever you put in or whatever debt you took on. Uh, And I really doubted that would ever happen, but we're sitting at the doorstep of that actually becoming a reality. And all of a sudden when it becomes a reality, a lot of things change in your mind. And, you know, part of me wants to hold out because I like barely, I haven't even gotten my plane on the runway yet. You know, it's not even on the runway. Nobody's yeah, you're, really... coming, you're coming out of the uh, plane garage and all <laughs> of a sudden someone wants to buy it. And it's yeah. like, oh, you know. Yeah, so I kind of haven't even gotten that full experience. But yet, on the other hand, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And I could start the clock with the process. So we would we would start this clock and we would probably release next D-Day. And, and that gives us enough time to prepare for that. So if I wait, that pushes that preparation time back more, which would jeopardize not releasing next summer. So that's just a lot of stuff to consider. And that's the beauty of it. And again, we actually didn't discuss that, but we could in our contract say we plan for the launch date to be June 6th and no earlier. So that way the distributor has to follow our, our, our rule, you know, Um, because distributors, once they get it, they'd happily release it tomorrow, you know, but we need a plan. And also, as I explained to Christian, you don't want just someone to take your movie and say, you want a, a partner. And that's the one thing that we both got from these guys. They wanted to be partners, which is, you know, I know people lie all the time, but sometimes it's harder to do it um, well. And I just didn't think they were really well liars. I think they were being honest that they really liked the movie and they wanted to do their darndest. And when I immediately said, well, we wouldn't be releasing until June of next year, um, they didn't bat an eye. They actually agreed. They thought that was a good idea. So it would give us, I don't know, what, eight, nine months um, to really work on our marketing, who really get it out there, to let veterans organizations know about it. But also that cushion of whatever film festivals do survive and what are the ones we get into and any awards, it's just going to make um, our film more attractive um, to get out there. And in that same respect, we don't have to approach foreign sales agents at this time. Let's see how we do with the festival uh, circuit. And, um, and then at any point to say, well, we already have a, a, a U.S., you know, North American deal, but we still have these other rights available. 
I think you'd want to look at it because it's won this award and this award and this award and look at all the press we've gotten. You know, it, it, we, we get to show our plane again, I guess. It's, it's, yeah. a different, it's a different runway and it's a different direction. But again, it's showing off your shiny plane to people who may want to be on board. Yep. Well, any other questions before we wrap up, Jason? Yeah. So I, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit further because um, so say that you're like, you know, a Morgan Spurlock and, and I'm assuming that he probably has distribution companies before he even starts filming who want his next thing because. Absolutely. So how does having a distribution company change your strategy for the festival run? Because uh, my understanding is the festivals kind of part of it is is getting it to distribution companies so they can decide whether whether or not they want to buy it. So how would that change the strategy if you had a distributor up front before you started your run? Well, everybody got paid, and uh, so that's an important thing. You know, that's, that, that, that that is a big thing. Yeah. So um, basically, the festival serves two purposes for the starving artists, independent filmmakers like us. Uh, it's our chance to try to show off our shiny plane and get someone to buy it. Right. But if you go to Sundance, you go to Tribeca, you go to these top, you go to TIFF, you are seeing documentaries that have already been fully financed and already have a distribution plan in place. They're just showing it because they want to show off their shiny plane. And they okay. do want to see if they'll win any awards because, you know, the festival circuit um, – if you want to go be nominated for an Oscar, you can't be distributed. Right. So these distributors will use the festival circuit to get the attention and then submit to the Oscars and literally distribute the next day. You know, um, that, and, and that's the way they do it. It's, um, they, they have a plan and it's a smart plan. And uh, again, they're just going for accolades, just going for the press. Uh, because Oscar voters generally are very in tune with the festival world and they know what's popular and Oscar voters are also kind of lazy. So <laughs> if they see a documentary that's won all these awards and all these festivals and they haven't even seen it, they're like, yeah, I probably, I'll, I'll vote for that because apparently everyone likes it. That is very common. So yeah. uh, if you, I mean, I've been guilty of it. I'll probably get in trouble. I'm not going to say which unions because uh, I'm a member of several, but there have been films or performers that I voted for because although I didn't specifically see the project, I know how brilliant they are and everyone's saying how great it is. You should never vote that way. <laughs> but uh, I can say I've been guilty of that and, um, and a lot of people are. So, you know, that is why these big major majors do it. They do it. It's free advertising for them, you know, and the simple fact is, if, uh, you know, Morgan Spurlock wants to premiere at TIFF, TIFF's going to say, okay. If we call the TIFF people and say, we'd like to premiere, and, you know, it's not going to work that way. So, um, <laughs> which is why, I, I'm not sure we talked prior to this, this starting, this year a lot of the festivals, the top ones have decided to share films, which I think is rather unfair to independent filmmakers because usually they require a premiere, which means there's a much wider choice of documentaries uh, to get a chance to be seen at these top fests. This way, if there's no requirement for premiering, they can all just share the same movie. And it's easier for them. And every film festival wants to brag to say, 
by the way, we chose this movie and it was nominated for an Academy Award. So, you know, they feed on each other, basically. The festivals want to be bragging about the Oscars, and the Oscars want to be able to brag that it did very well in its festival run, and that's why it qualified, you know, to be nominated for an Academy Award. It's all very political, and, you know, it's very nuanced, constantly changing, cutthroat. The business is, is a difficult business, and... You know, I think that plenty of research watching the business, just like somebody would watch the financial market, you know, and partner with somebody who knows what they're doing uh, when you get to that stage. Otherwise, you learn the hard way. One other thing that uh, we talked about is in making deals, make sure you put a clause in your contract that if the distributor goes bankrupt, the rights revert back to you. Otherwise, your project gets tied up and you lose your project in their bankruptcy, right? In bankruptcy, and lots of times they sell the distribution deal to another company of pennies on the dollar. So all of a sudden, you've lost your your thing to another company that is usually a worse company. <laughs> and, uh, and, and basically, you've lost your child for the next five years. And, and hopefully, when you get it back, it'll still be, you know, people will still be interested. But, you know, a lot of really cute children grow up to be pretty ugly teenagers. So, you know, after five years, your baby may not be as appealing as it once was. And so you don't want to lose that right and the energy and the, and the forward motion of that film. Yeah. I think we had talked about in one of the podcasts about indie funk, right? Didn't we talk about that? And if a film, film has been on a shelf of a bankrupt company for five years, ain't nobody people are going to really be interested in it. Even if it's brilliant. They're like, oh, I've been stuck there for five years. Clearly, it's not worth me even looking at it. Yeah. Um, so, um, but overall, I, we've had some great news um, the last two weeks, and I just expect better news to come. We do have this two-week window where we have to sort of, you know, scratch our heads and, and decide whether we jump off. But as we've discussed on this podcast, we're not giving away the store. We're basically giving away the dairy section. And we have other elements that we retain and can try to maximize. You know, a lot of people are lactose intolerant. So let's go, you know, to the other part of the store and try to sell that to the people who don't like cheese. You know, he is the man of analogies, right, Jason? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> he has so many good analogies. Well, I think we're about out of time, David, but uh, you have been so helpful. Thank you for teaching us all. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sorry about the breaking up and the running because I don't know if you heard the landscapers, of course, showed up and they were mowing just outside and then the routers going down, so it ran closer to the router. But I, th I think I was on board for most of the, uh, yeah, the time. Yeah, happy to have you. Great. Well, all, all right, right Jason. Uh, thanks for listening to the documentary first. I've been your host, Josh Lindsay. Uh, and here we believe that everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. You sure can. Bye, everybody. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. 
Also, if you're able to share the news about the girl who wore freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.